Hello, I'm Fernando Sosa, and you're watching Mindset of Steel live show. In uh, this uh, show, we encourage you to crush your limiting beliefs, punch fear in the face, and take massive action in your business and your personal life by focusing on the 80% psychology and 20% strategies. Very excited. Uh, today is uh, we're going to go over episode number 27 of our show. And um, we have a special guest uh, coming up in a, sh in a few moments. Uh, her name is Charmaine uh, Hammond, and she's an executive uh, producer, a speaker, and a book author. And uh, we've been talking, before we get into that, before, well, if you're here for the first time, welcome. If you're joining us from YouTube, don't forget to, uh, to subscribe and click on the bell icon, the notification icon, so you can be notified when we go live. And um, if you're watching on, we're actually streaming on LinkedIn today. So, uh, you know, drop a like, uh, comment, and let us know. Let us know how we're doing. I appreciate you for being here. So today we have a special guest, like I said. And uh, before we get into the main topic, which is up with our guest, I'm very excited that she's here. And we are, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about uh, different mental health topics uh, in the past couple of weeks, starting with the Mental Health Awareness Month that, uh, that, that passed. And, um, you know, we, we kind of tying it all together with different areas in our lives of how um, uh, important it is to be aware of mental health. Um, you know, it, today we're going to cover an area um, that is, uh, has to do with a catastrophic event. Like one of the things that we're going to talk about is how a catastrophic event um, not only causes physical damages, um, but also it impacts uh, the mental health of, of the people, of the community. And it's very easy to, to see the physical aspect of the, of the catastrophe, but not easy to see the, the mental health uh, issues uh, that that could cause. And um, we're going to hear a story about, you know, what, one catastrophic event and a movie that actually was, uh, was created. And uh, Charmaine, Charmaine is going to talk a little bit about that. And um, I'm excited to ask a question about that. She executive produced that movie. So it's, it's pretty awesome. I can't wait to see it. Um, so before we get into that topic, and um, if um, you've seen our website, just wanted to remind you, we, are, we also have a podcast. We, you, you can listen to us on, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Um, if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Um, our website, don't forget to check out our website mindsetofsteel.com. And uh, there you can see the past episodes. We have some of the content. We also have a, um, a private Facebook group uh, where um, I'm kind of putting together some material over the past couple of months, different challenges. Uh, back in February, we had a relationship challenge, a five-day relationship challenge with uh, uh, five or four uh, relationship experts. We have different challenges going on. Uh, not too long ago, we had a fitness challenge. Uh, and, and other other things like that. We're gonna have some networking happening. So it's it's uh, pretty fun. So mindsetofsteel.com is a place to be. Okay, so without further ado, let me let me just jump ahead and, and, and introduce our guest. Um, 
Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about Charmaine. Charmaine Hammond, she's a, a speaker, an author, uh, and an expert in collaboration, resilience, and conflict resolution. She's also an executive producer, like I said, of a new animated film, Back Home Again, a film to inspire conversation about mental health and community. Uh, so she's joining us from Vancouver, Canada. Welcome. Hello. Um, I'm Hi. <laughs> there we go. You can hear um, me now. Yes, yes. Hi, Charmaine. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Awesome. I'm awesome. I'm awesome. It's a great way to end my day. Now I'm uh, on the East Coast. You're in Canada. What 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 time uh, we have? Like a uh, how many difference? I think what time are you? Three hour time difference. Ah, so you still yeah. have a lot of daylight over there. We do. <laughs> yes, it's gorgeous and hot today in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, we got a little heat wave going on over here. Okay, so awesome. So Char Charmaine, very interesting background. I I saw. Um, you know, a lot of information that we're going to share uh, on uh, coming up on your websites and and the work that you're doing now and, and, the, and the movie. But can you tell us, uh, the listeners and the viewers, a little bit about yourself, uh, your background? I, I, I saw that you, you have a background, and I wanted to tell me a brief story. You have a background in the in the prison system, in the jail, in the yeah. correction facilities. Yeah. Um, how did you go about... Of that, how did that start? And then we're going to transition into, you know, how, you know, what skills you needed to be there, what skills you 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 improved going out of there, how that tied into conflict resolution, and then how you help corporations and tra with training their staff on resolving conflict and that sort of thing. Because I'm very interested about that because I know that conflict resolution you can apply it in the workspace in the workplace, mm. but you can also apply it anywhere in personal yeah. life as well, right? Absolutely. So, well, share with us. From the from from that part, going to the correctional facility, how do that? You know, what do you do there? Well, my career started out in a correctional facility for adult men, and I was a jail guard, a correctional officer. Learned a lot about conflict resolution, as you can imagine, not only about resolving conflict between the inmates, but also amongst our team. How do we address conflict with our colleagues, with our supervisors? So that was an incredible learning experience. I then worked with young offenders, and I must say that that was my passion at the time. It really was working with young offenders who some of them have been involved in the legal system for quite some time in their short life, but there was a lot of hope and opportunity to help them develop skills to lead a better life when they left the uh, correctional center. And when I, when I moved across the country, so I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast in Canada, and the community I moved to didn't have a jail that was open. So I had to change careers. I started working in the nonprofit sector in the mental health arena and sector, and, um, and then went back to school and got trained as a conflict, um, conflict manager, a mediator, and then opened up my own business in dispute resolution. And then got into training and speaking about conflict resolution. That's awesome. So I see, I see the, the evolution, how, how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and so I understand you also have, uh, you, you wrote some books. 
I did. And and interestingly enough, none of them are about none of them then were about conflict resolution. I've got a new one coming out this year that is about conflict resolution. But the first book I wrote on Toby's terms happened after I was published in Chicken Soup for the Soul, what I learned from a dog. And I had written a short story about my dog who was a therapy dog, not for me, but he volunteered in a psychiatric hospital. So I got the pleasure of holding the other end of the leash every Wednesday as we went into a psychiatric hospital for him to basically live his purpose, which was helping people and bringing people joy. And I learned so much from that. I've been working in the mental health sector for many years prior to that, but the experience of going into the hospital with the dog was absolutely profound and almost magical seeing what would happen with the patients when Toby would come into the room and let out his big bark that he had arrived and he would just go about what he did naturally, which was showing up for people. Mm. Now, I'm curious, we're, we're talking about mental health and then we first we talk about the, the jail system mm -hmm. and then conflict resolution. Do you do you think, do you see a connection? Um, like when I when I uh, read about or try and, and try to learn about conflict resolution, mm -hmm. from what I see, it, 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 it starts with thinking about, uh, you know, being logical and, and trying to understand the other person. But mm -hmm. I, I wonder if the mental health aspect is ever considered in conflict resolution. Because when we're talking about conflict resolution, uh, if you go in uh, assuming that everybody's okay with in terms of mental health, but they're not, then there's an uneven, uneven uh, you know, it's not kind of a fair game, right? That's so right. Speak. Absolutely. In fact, when I was training to be a mediator, this is going back many, many years, there was a big focus in our training about ensuring that people were capable of being in the mediation. So capable meaning that they were able to make decisions for themselves and also working with the clients ahead of time to make sure that they were ready to be in this conversation, that they were going to be safe emotionally and physically in the dispute resolution process. And conflict is really stressful. I mean, if we think about the conflicts we have with our neighbors, with our family, um, with our children, within our workplaces, conflict is very difficult for most people. It adds a lot of stress in our life. And for people that are already dealing with mental health issues, this is another added layer of complexity. And you're absolutely right when you said it, it, um, it it's sort of not a level playing field when somebody's not um, ready to participate in a process like that. It really, it creates a power imbalance. So when I used to teach people how to be mediators many years ago and train in that area, we talked a lot about that because, and then there's another piece to that. When I was mediating, um, I remember I had probably done about 50 family mediations and I thought, oh, I know what, there's a piece that's missing here and that's helping make sure that the relationship is maintained or sustained after the conflict is resolved. And that's where I got really, really interested in learning a lot more about resilience. And then from that point forward, when I was mediating, whether it was in the workplace, community or family arenas, 
I really worked with the clients to look at how their resilience could be supported after the conflict was resolved. Because in conflict, the, the really tough part is that often the disagreement has taken such a toll on the, on the, the trust amongst the parties and the relationship. And for me as a mediator, whenever those parties wanted to maintain the relationship, it meant that they needed to do some work around their own resilience and, and the resilience of, of their relationship together. I see. Interesting. So, so let's talk a little bit about um, the, the how, how you shifted or how you, 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 um, you started working on this film that I, taught, mm. I spoke about at the beginning. Yes. So, the, the film is called uh, Back Home Again, mm-hmm. and uh, it's based on a story that, right, in 2016, there was a, a huge, huge wildfire in Canada, Alberta, Canada, mm-hmm. the town of uh, Fort McMurray. That's correct, And yeah. uh, from what I saw, it was the size of New York City. It was a huge mm-hmm. fire. Mm-hmm. No, a lot of people evacuated, the biggest evacuation in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, here we are, uh, you know, now you you create, there's a movie that's going to come out, you executive producer. Can you tell me a little bit more and, and about the all-star cast that is in that movie? Sure. Well, in in uh, I actually lived in Fort McMurray for almost 16 years, not at the time of the fires, but when the fires occurred in 2016, I was actually brought back to the community on a number of different contracts with schools, school divisions, nonprofit organizations, and some businesses to work with them around resilience and recovery. And um, you know, Fort McMurray was my home for many years, so I'm still deeply, deeply connected to the community. While I was there doing some work, I was introduced to an incredible, talented screenwriter and producer, Michael Mankowski. And he presented to me this incredible script that he had written for an animated movie. And he was a Fort McMurrayite, so he was born and raised in the community. He experienced the evacuation And when the community was returning after the evacuation, Michael was doing some work for the Red Cross and interviewing a couple hundred people about their experience. And Michael describes, you know, through those experiences, um, he was also dealing with his own reactions and trauma to going through a fire and the evacuation. But he said that there were so many stories that were untold that could perhaps help other people in the community and around the world. So that's how the script was developed. And I was introduced to Michael to see if I would wanna be a part of this project. And when I heard Michael's passion for why he wanted to do this project and his whole why was that he wanted to create a movie that would inspire people to talk about mental health, to make it okay for people to talk about mental health and to build a sense of community. And that's that's how the movie was born. And over the last few years, almost five years, I've been working closely with Michael and it's grown into a 30 minute movie. It will be released this fall. We're super excited about it. And as you said, it's got an all-star cast, which I take no credit for. Michael Mankowski and the producer, John Schneider, um, were able to lean on the relationships that they've both generated over the past number of years. And this incredible cast, um, all-star cast, has come on to this project and donated their time and voice to help this become a reality. So it is a nonprofit film and 
We have two incredible charitable partners, Canadian Mental Health Association and Canadian Red Cross that are working closely with us as we bring this to life in the fall. Well, it's amazing. And I have a picture here of the, uh, the poster. The poster. Mm. Uh, um, yeah. the, <laughs> It, let me just read the um, the 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 cast. Um, are you able to see, you see the poster? Yes, I can. Yeah. I, I can look at that all day long. <laughs> so it has, uh, you know, the, let me let me read it over here. I mean, uh, I I see Tom Green, Harlan Williams, Howie Mandel. I mean, <laughs> Michael J. Fox. Martin Short, Kim Bass, Basinger. I mean, this is, uh, you know, heavy hitters, heavy yeah. hitters. <laughs> it's an incredible, incredible cast. And <laughs> yeah, just- They're all Canadians, right? Is it? Is uh, it no, right? there are no? there are some American actors as well okay. involved in the film, a lot of Canadians. Um, and what's really beautiful as well is the music that's been created for this film. So it's an originally written song called Back Home Again same as the movie and uh, it's performed by Jeremy Renner uh, who is all who also voices one of the characters in the movie and the movie um, being created to be a conversation starter we're also working with our partners to create mental health resources so an app and educational guides and discussion guides for families and communities and workplaces so that when they watch the movie, because we want people to watch the movie with somebody else so that they can spark or inspire mm -hmm. a conversation. And I know from our conversations with the many mental health experts that Michael's consulted with over the years, you know, we know that when people experience a trauma or a disaster, the journey to recovery is a long process and will look differently for everybody, but it is a long process. It's not just, you know, you come back to the community and everything is okay. There's a lot of grieving and a lot of work that goes on for people to regain their um, their their mental health and, and resilience. Yeah, I can see this, this being a, a good tool and resource that's like evergreen because I mean, yes. disasters happen all the time all over the world yeah. and and um, this can touch a lot of people now and, and in the future yeah. ongoing that's yes. amazing so when is it when does it is it available on, on the fall yeah it comes out this fall it'll uh, we're so excited we'll make sure that you get the information and mm -hmm. we'll be having information posted on our social media all the social media is back home again movie and the website of course is back home again movie.com and there's on the website there's an incredible trailer a video that introduces you to Michael Mankowski, the uh, screenwriter director, and you'll hear him talk about why he created this movie. And one of the things I love to say when I talk about Michael and his work on this project is he describes the movie like a love letter to his community. And you know that's how important this is to him to be able to um, to give back to the community, but to help people around the world. Because even right now, as you and I are in conversation, there are communities going through a number of different disasters. And we are all right now in the world sharing an experience of going through a pandemic. And mm -hmm. this pandemic has generated, it has created a lot of mental health issues for people and a lot of challenges in workplaces and families. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, so that's awesome. So, uh, Charmaine, so now let me ask you, so I, I can imagine that, you know, you have, uh, you know, a lot of relationship developed uh, that has helped you, you know, 
find sponsors for the large projects, but also how, how you help others do the same, right? Can, can you give me examples of, of the types of sponsorships that you've had or helped other people obtain? Sure. Over the years, and actually I'll go way back in my career, when I started working in the nonprofit sector, was, which was in 1991, so a long time ago, when I was the executive director of an organization, part of my job was to actually build sponsorship relationships and find funding for the organization. And I, I actually, back then, I didn't really know much about that. I came from working in the government system right into working in the nonprofit, and they're two different worlds. But one thing that I knew was that I was really good at relationships. And that is what makes collaborations and sponsorship work is, is building that relationship where there is, um, there is opportunity for people to engage in the project and to make a difference together. And so I started learning about that. So years and years ago, uh, whether I was on a volunteer project or working in the nonprofit sector, we had a number of different projects over the years and we had sponsors that sponsored renovations to our to our buildings. We had media sponsors. Uh, we had sponsors that um, did, uh, took care of all our printing needs. We had sponsors who provided cash to be able to support the programs. And what's really important to know is that these were all built on a collaboration and where the brands, the community organizations, the businesses came together because they believed in the project. And even, you know, at Raise a Dream, one of my companies, when we're working with our clients, we see them doing the same thing where they are building collaborations with different brands or businesses in their community uh, to find a way to, to partner and secure sponsorship relationships. So depending on the project, it can be all over the map in terms of what people are doing to create um, sponsorship. The Olympics were just run, you know, and we saw all kinds of sponsors that were supporting the Olympics. Yeah. So, so the company we're talking, we're referring to Ra Raise a Dream. That's so. That's the most recent uh, uh, um, company that you you uh, put together. And, and uh, mm -hmm. so, in that, I was taking a look at that, and I saw, you know, a lot of interesting information on the Ra Raise a Dream. I have the website there, RaiseADream.com. You can check it out. Um, and that's something that you know caught my attention is that a lot of people and and, and nonprofits, you know, they they they. And, and people that do speaking engagements, there's a lot of opportunities to do things, but at no cost, like they don't, but there's always opportunities for sponsorship that they basically leave money on the table and you come ahead, yeah. you come here and you show them how, you know, and what to say, what not to say, mm -hmm. you know, the relationships to build and that, and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, and, that, that's exactly, you know, there's a lot of mistakes that, that people, a lot of mistakes that entrepreneurs and nonprofits often make around collaboration, partnership, sponsorships is that um, they often will go and ask for money for their amazing program or event, but they don't have any relationship with that company that they're approaching. They haven't taken time to research the brand and find out what matters to them, what's important, um, what they've been involved with in the past, 
what they're hoping to achieve. They just go and ask for money. And if we, we we've all had those phone calls, haven't we? You know, six o'clock at dinner time, you pick up the phone and somebody's telling you about their great project or event. And will you uh, be a sponsor? And typically people say no, generally, because it's like, I don't even know you. I don't, how do you know what I want or need? So we really have to take time to build that relationship and find out what is important to the brand or the company, the business that we're approaching. And um, that's some of the work that we do. And, and we work with our clients to help them really learn how to write, ask the right questions. Because a lot of times people go into a conversation with a potential collaboration partner, a sponsor, and they don't know the questions to ask to bring out that important information that can help you and that partner co-create something together. So when people learn, we actually have a seven stage model that we teach and raise a dream. And my business partner, Rebecca, and I have been doing this for years and years and years. And when we opened up the business, we discovered that we were both approaching collaboration and sponsorship the same way. So we created our seven step model. And when people learn that, and they learn how to build these collaborative relationships, it's something that they can do over and over and over again for future projects. Yeah, that's very interesting, and 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 I can see also it being a challenge, uh, kind of like a double-edged sword here, because I can see uh, corporations that are willing to be sponsored that are just used to just wasting money, basically just giving money mm -hmm. away, and 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 not understanding that it's a re it's a two-way thing, it's a relationship, yes, it's not an automatic, it's not just a transaction. Uh, that's right. and I think that that's, that that is often the case that that, that misconception is there. Yeah, um, it's good to it's it's good that you're teaching uh, both ends, right? You you te do you teach sponsors how to be sponsors as well? You know what's really interesting? Sometimes that happens through the process of working mm -hmm. with them. If we go back about um, six years ago, I did a North American tour called A Million Acts of Kindness, and it was actually one of the book promotions that I did for the children's books that I wrote after the on Toby's terms book. So we had a motor home sponsored, we had our technology sponsored hotel rooms for the staff, we had, you know, food and gas and all kinds of things sponsored. And what was really interesting, I remember meeting with one sponsor very early on, I think it was the second call, and it was a company that I didn't have prior relationships with. So I was asking lots of questions, learning about their brand, I did lots of research, Search. And the lady that I was talking to, the sponsorship director said, wow, this is so refreshing. Do you realize in these two calls, you've asked more questions about our company that you really truly want to get to know us. And sometimes people are coming to us and asking for a lot of money or a lot of in-kind support and they've never asked us any of the questions. And that was a really great reminder for me. Um, it's part of what I do. I mean, I was trained as a mediator. So a big part of what you do as a mediator is you ask questions. So mm -hmm. it's a natural skill set that I have natural now. It, you know, I had to learn how to do this. But when you take time to build a relationship, it just helps everything along. It really, really does. And, and for a lot of people, um, I, I've worked with nonprofit organizations and entrepreneurs, and they find that when they don't know what to ask, they get nervous, and then the conversation starts to feel like it's going sideways. So that's why it's so important to learn these powerful questions that can help you learning about different companies and brands. Okay, awesome. So people that are in, interested in learning more, they can reach out to you where? At the website, right? 
You betcha. Raiseadream.com is a great place. We're on social media, the same handle and, and you know, feel free to ask your questions. It's we all had to, I had to learn this too. And I, <laughs> I always laugh and say, I probably made every mistake possible over, over the years, probably two or three times. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. um, and once I learned how to do this and just remembered that this is just a conversation, it's a relationship. It took off all the pressure and, and I could sink into really lean into just learning about the company. So, you know, I always encourage people, if you've got questions, don't struggle through something, just message us on Facebook or other social platforms and we can help you along. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, that's, uh, that's all the time we have now. Um, Charmaine, um, I'm very delighted to meet you, to talk to, with you about all of this. This is very, very interesting information. And uh, if you're watching on uh, the replay, check, 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 uh, check out the website, raiseadream.com. And that's the portal to tons of more information. <laughs> thank you. I mean, thank you very much for being here. Um, you want to leave us with a final word of uh, encouragement? Oh, you know, I, I'm going to say this. Now more than ever, it is so important to just show up as you. Uh, when you're dealing with collaboration, when you're dealing with sponsors or getting funding for your projects, just show up as you because at the end of the day, that's what people are looking for. They're looking to collaborate with you. So there's a great quote by Oscar Wilde and that's what he says. He says, um, show up as yourself because everybody else is already taken. Awesome. Let's leave it at that. Thank you very Thank much, Charmaine. Thank you Bye, so everybody. much. Thank you.